0: Good afternoon and welcome. It's Midday. I'm Tom Hall. Thanks for being with us. Today on the show, we begin our series of conversations with the candidates who are running in this year's election cycle. Over the next few months, I'll speak with the major candidates in the Democratic primaries for Baltimore mayor and city council president, congressional candidates in the third and sixth districts, and candidates running for the U.S. Senate. And we will post all of these interviews on the Midday webpage. My guest today is Sheila Dixon, a familiar political figure whose service in city government began nearly 40 years ago, A Democrat, she represented the 4th District on the City Council for 12 years, beginning in 1987. She served as the president of the City Council from 1999 until 2007. She became mayor in January of that year when Martin O'Malley was elected governor. She completed his term and then handily won election to a four-year term in November of 2007, and that term was cut short when she resigned in early 2010 as part of an Alford plea in a perjury case currently she works with the maryland minority contractors association former mayor dixon ran for mayor again in 2016 losing narrowly to katherine Pugh in the democratic primary miss dixon garnered more than 22 percent of the vote as a write-in candidate in the 2016 general election in 2020 she lost in the primary to brandon scott by an even closer margin And in a poll conducted just last fall by the Sarah T. Hughes Center at Goucher College, she was leading Mayor Scott in this year's contest, her third attempt to regain her old job since she resigned 13 years ago. Sheila Dixon is a product of Baltimore City Schools. She graduated from Northwestern High School and went on to earn a bachelor's degree at Towson University and a master's degree from Johns Hopkins. She lives in Hunting Ridge in southwest Baltimore. She is the mother of two adult children. She celebrated her 70th birthday one week ago. She joins me today in Studio A. Happy birthday, happy new year, and welcome.
1: Thank you. It, I'm I'm still in shock of my birthday about
0: turning seventy. Yeah, I am. It, was that I, a I tough one? I can't bring
1: myself to say it, I, <laughs> and then for you to say it. But of course that happened. But you know, for me it look it's I'm blessed, and it's it's just a number.
0: But I don't know what
1: it's supposed to feel like.
0: But like was was forty hard? Was fifty hard? Was sixty hard?
1: All of those were hard. I mean, I wouldn't even sign up for an AARP card. <laughs>
0: You're, I was you're just, in denial. You're in denial. Mm-hmm. <laughs> well, um, I'm interested. You, you know, you've been through this this process many times. You have run, you know, citywide. You run for mayor four times, actually. You've run citywide for president of city council a bunch of times. What's different this time than the other times you've run?
1: So th- other than the fact that you're 70 so years old. So this <laughs> time, the difference is, I had no intentions of running. And for the last and I actually was working and trying to support the current administration and providing advice and assisting where I could assist. And actually, I didn't support a city administrator or um, when it was on the The ballot, creation
0: of the, the new position, because I
1: felt that the deputy mayor concept can work and it can be effective. But when Chris Shorter left. I really reached out and said, hey, I would love to be a part of your administration and be your city administrator and really get these agencies running properly. If I have the authority to do that, if I have the authority to maybe, if I have to get rid of people. But of course, you know, the current mayor went a different route. Some other people. Appointed maybe. Faith
0: Leach. Mm-hmm. Right.
1: And and I think Faith is a, a wonderful person. Um, but... I, I know city government and working with companies that I work with on a regular basis. In the minority contract In the minority contractors and, the minority contra- and, and also the nonprofit that I'm on the board with and people who constantly reach out to me through Facebook messages, through texting, through stopping me on the street. I mean, where I can help out, I try to help out. And I just... People and there are a number of people who literally and you and I've heard this yesterday from Theroux that people stop him every day. Kind of took that line from me, but people literally stop me every day, and uh, a number I'm of people.
0: Director Vignaraja, yes, who has not announced he's running, but he's announced he's thinking he's about running. He's doing
1: exploratory, right? But people have stopped me, and I deal with issues. But there's something that's not functioning in city government properly, and. I've never seen so many of our agencies that are dysfunctional. And I've had to deal with many of those agencies for clients that I work with. And unfortunately, we've got to really, we need accountability. People, I know we've dealt with COVID and and other counties have come back to work. I was a part of Baltimore County's Procurement Commission. I was appointed a commissioner on Baltimore County, where we helped Baltimore County come up with a whole new plan dealing with procurement. And we did this for two years, virtually, and you can go on their website and see the changes that this commission created. And this is during COVID? This is during COVID. The difference that 12, 13 of us made working with the agencies, really digging deep for Baltimore County. I made that suggestion for Baltimore City because we have a very dysfunctional procurement process. I know that they hired a consultant. I'm not sure what the results are with the consultant, but I made that recommendation. Hey, look at what Baltimore County did. Take a look at their procurement process. Because, of course, when you work with companies, particularly minority and small companies, they can't wait 180 days. They can't wait. 90 days. They need to get paid so they can pay their people. I have companies that now won't even do business with the city and that were prime contractors. Um, And so that's just one area on top of multiple issues. You
0: spoke with Mayor Brandon Scott and, and offered to be his city administrator when Chris Shorter left. And did he entertain that seriously? What was his response when you made that offer?
1: I was offered something else you know I was offered to be a consultant to deal with the legislators
0: so a legislative liaison kind of yeah. position
1: mm-hmm.
0: and do you have any reason do you have any speculation about the reasons that the mayor decided to to go in a different direction no I, I
1: no i don't i don't and you know i know people want their own people in in place and you know and so i understand it but um i think i could have really helped to get the recycling back out regularly to deal with the roads and, and really identify very good, talented people. And I know we have good, talented people there now. You know, you need a good balance. You need experience, and you need new. You need fresh. But you need to have a balance. And people need to come back to work. Everybody, I mean, literally, I just told you about the flood at my home and how I had to go online to do something as it relates to a permit. And it would not let me go through the process. Finally, I had to leave messages, multiple messages to get a hold of somebody to say I'm going online I'm following instructions I'm not able to do this um, And
0: yeah you're doing a renovation you had a big a uh, water pipe, a few water pipes burst almost a year ago, and you've had to renovate your home. And uh, so the permitting process is certainly something we hear about from contractors and individuals all the, all time. the time, that it's a really difficult process. Um, how do you fix that?
1: You, you, you go in, you talk to the people who deal with the system every day. You ask them, what seems to be the disconnect in the issues? What are the issues? If it's software if it's you know, computers or not talking to each other, what is it going to take to fix this? You bring in people who are within the industry who have certain expertise, and you add, you get their input in helping to fix the system. So you have to look at people that work there, because there are people who work in city government who, who know, who understand what the problems are. And it might be a matter of of upgrading the software, or it might be a matter of training, and then you bring people from the private sector in to say, "Hey, help us to fix this." You know, we sh- this is a permit process is something where the city generates revenue, and anybody doing a project- sure a, a you get project, charged for
0: every permit you get
1: right. Anybody doing a project, if it takes you x amount of time, that's money that you lose in the process, and I've heard horror stories. And I've had a number of people who say to me, if you win, I would love to be part of the transition to deal with this permit process. That's just one issue.
0: When it comes to, for example, city workers working back in the office. Uh, it, as of this month, I think they're required to be in maybe three days a week in most departments. There are some departments even fewer days a week. Um, if you get elected uh, next, if you win the primary and get elected in November, would you have all city workers come back to work full time?
1: I think everybody needs to come back full time. And, and in cases where someone has some flexibility, you know, I know people are used to working from home now. But when it takes three to four or five days to get a call back or to respond to an email, that's unacceptable. And And Issues range from A to Z. Somebody messaged me the other day about a property that that their mother owned and that they paid the taxes on it. And they gave me a whole scenario of issues that they're going through. Of course, I sent the email to the housing director and to another individual who works in a mayor's office and say, hey, this person needs help. I'm not in there, so I can't help them the way you can.
0: Sheila Dixon is my guest. She's a former mayor of Baltimore. It's our Conversations with the candidate series here on Midday. We'll take calls and emails in the second and third part of the program. I'm Tom Hall. So, you, as you mentioned, you originally opposed the idea of the position of administrative officer, chief administrative officer. It was held, as you said, by Christopher Shorter, who went to Virginia, evidently a job there doing sort of the same thing, paid many tens of thousands of dollars a year more. Um, this is how Mayor Scotts explained it to us, at least on this show, about uh, why Mr. Shorter decided to leave after just a year. Um, he's hired Faith Leach, who is a you know highly respected person in City Hall, well liked by the City Council, um, she's got experience in Washington and here in Baltimore as well. She's one of the people who took care of the squeegee kid, uh, you know, uh, the, the the board that they put together, the, the collaborative that, that they collaborative. put, um, and was you know lauded for that. Um, but have you have you changed your mind about that? I mean, you, you said that you asked, you you offered to the, the mayor mayor's office to, to right have now, that position yourself. The mayor's you,
1: office right now is top heavy. You have deputy mayor system and you have the city administrator. So the question is, do you necessarily need all of that? And the mayor's budget has like grown five times what it's been in the last 10 years. So the question is, with all the deputy mayors, assistant deputy mayors, et cetera, people should be getting answers quickly. People should be getting things resolved quickly. I'm not speaking about something that I hear. I'm speaking about things that I experience based on the companies that I work with and how long it takes to get an answer. Even if the issue is we're looking into it, this issue is more complicated than what we think it is. Cause you know, when it comes to deal with a contract or, or with a particular agency, you know, it, it depends, but at least get back to people and say, this is going to take a month or two months. It's like, a company that I, that I won't name the company, but they p- submitted all their invoices and receipts for for some significant projects dealing with plumbing and HVAC, et cetera. The, the city changed to Workday, so that meant all of those invoices... Workday is a software is a program. New, is ...that they now use for payment and, and monitoring, um, um, invoices, et cetera. So here's millions of dollars that this company... It's submitting that now they have to submit it all again into workday, And it took two years or more for them to finally get everything straight. I don't even know if it's still straight today.
0: So, so what then can you as the mayor do about that? Is that, you know, making heads roll? I mean, what what if the people in these agencies are saying, uh, first of all, we're understaffed, because the mayor has told me, Mayor Scott has told me, that uh, City Hall is short some 200 plus workers. Uh, we hear that the same thing. The city Hall
1: thing. short two hundred workers. Well, the,
0: the city government in general is 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 short a number of several hundred workers. The DPW alone at one point was uh, the Department of Public Works down two hundred and fifty people. Uh, the police are down. I mean, there are various agencies that that are saying, you know, we just don't have
1: enough. So we need people. to people. We need to assess where we need individuals, and we got to go out and recruit. Let's just take DPW. You know, I'm a solid waste. I'm a trash obsessed person. I talk to people. I talk to solid waste guys. I've been out Drew Hill Park the entire time during COVID. I run into the guys and say, so what happened? What What's the problem? Why did so many people leave DPW solid waste? Well, during COVID, who was out there picking up everybody's trash, even extra trash, solid waste? So instead of giving them... or whatever the amount was, $500 or $200 extra. And then after getting all those taxes taken out, maybe you should have incentivized them a little bit more. And then when the requirement for COVID tests, sometimes you have to break it down to individuals about why that COVID test is important. And I had this conversation with my trash guys. You know, when when I saw that they didn't have proper masks and equipment on, and I actually ended up giving them some. I said, the COVID test not only protects you, but you're dealing with people's trash, sanitary issues every day. But it's going to affect when you go home. If you have an elderly person at home or you have a person that has certain sensitivities or other illnesses, you can impact them. So, you know, you just can't say I'm a rec- you are required to do this or you have to leave. So you've got to kind of break things down to people. And, and I had these conversations with individuals. Let's go out and recruit. We got a lot of nonprofits, programs with ex-offenders, et cetera. Hey, there's a lot of folks that have been through DPW that were ex-offenders who could go in and start at Solid Waste and be trained to move up and get their CDL license. So you, we have, we have to be aggressive in how we do this.
0: Yeah, the CDL, the commercial driver's license, uh, the truck drivers. Mm -hmm. um, The mayor has told me that uh, it's very difficult to recruit people to work for DPW, given that the salary rates at DPW here in Baltimore are much lower than in the private sector. At one point, the Wall Street Journal had a story about a year ago, that starting salary for a truck driver at Walmart is $110,000 a year. How does the city of Baltimore uh, compete with that? He's also said that the the uh, backlog for equipment uh, is long. The wait, the the supply chain issues uh, during COVID were exacerbated, and they're still waiting uh, for trucks. Uh, the police commissioner told me that just the other day that they're still waiting for police cars. That they they can't they can't get them through the through the assembly line fast enough. Um, these it are, is these it are just, a national? Is problem. it just
1: to the assembly line or the agency that handles? Um, going after those cars or equipment, are they on top of making sure that they're calling and tracking and maybe looking at alternative vendors to help in that process? It's just, you just mentioned a Walmart um, CDL driver. And they mainly drive what, tractor trailers, which is a little different. It's levels right. of CDL license. Right. Well, but if you have people in your office, in the mayor's office, who are making 250000 or more, and, and you're top-heavy with deputy mayors, assistant deputy mayors, et cetera, there's a balance. Where do you need the bulk of your people? And then the benefits for someone working at DPW and an agency, the health benefits, the retirement benefits, et cetera. I mean, those are some of the pieces that you have to sell that Walmart doesn't necessarily offer
0: former Baltimore Mayor Sheila Dixon. She's my guest as part of our series of conversations with the candidates. Sheila Dixon is running in the Democratic primary for mayor of Baltimore. Quick break, and then we'll have more with former Mayor Dixon, including your questions and comments. You can call us at 410-662-8780. You can email midday at WIPR.org. I'm Tom Hall. Stay with us.
2: You're listening to Baltimore's NPR News Station, 88.1 WYPR. And welcome back. It's Midday.
0: I'm Tom Hall. By the way, coming up tomorrow, it's Midday at the Movies with Jed Dietz and Ann Hornaday, plus theater critic Jay Wynn Russick will review Ragtime at the Signature Theater in Washington. And if you've just joined us today, it's another installment in our series of Conversations with the Candidates. My guest is former Baltimore Mayor Sheila Dixon, who is once again running in the Democratic primary to regain her old job. Former Mayor Dixon joins me today here in Studio A, and you are welcome to join us as well. Our number, 410-662-8780. Our email, midday at WIPR.org. So... Madam Mayor, you are an historic figure in Baltimore politics—the first woman elected mayor, first African-American woman elected mayor. There is a segment of the electorate uh, now, uh, between the ages of 18 and 20 something, who've never voted for you. They were kids when you were mayor—you know, they were toddlers. Um, how do you explain to them what happened? Because when you announced your candidacy uh, in September, you wrote a letter, kind of an open letter to the city in the Baltimore Sun. uh, And you said that despite your accomplishments, many of you will remember my time as mayor based primarily on the way it ended rather than what happened. So to that person who doesn't know Sheila Dixon, um, how do you explain what happened uh, in 2010?
1: you you try to I try to be transparent and open and, and share with them that um bad decisions were made and that one grows from those bad decisions and that you try to live your life and I've tried to live my life since that time to be open and honest and to try to give back well I always gave back. It didn't matter what was going on. But to continue to build, and also, um, everybody, no one's perfect, and here's an opportunity to get a second chance.
0: But actually, tell them what happened. I mean, they they may not even know why it is you resigned.
1: I mean, I had to resign because of an investigation um, dealing with gift cards, and if I had disclosed those gifts, which I ended up, disclosing and learning from that um, I would be retiring now and the city would be in a whole lot different shape than it is today and I think about that because of the impact of my brief stay what I was able to do in reducing crime and cleaning up the city and greening up the city and making the city city healthier and a lot of those 18 to 20 some year olds they stopped me in the street today because their mothers their parents know me or their grandparents knew me and the grandparents or parents would talk about me. Or I would visit them in the class, in their classroom, in elementary school, because I've run across people who were in that age range who remember me either from their parents or grandparents or from visiting them at school when they were little.
0: You, you mentioned how the city government is different now. Um, it's been a while since you were elected. I mean, that was in 2007. It's 16 years. It's a long time any organization changes. What's different about you? If you're elected again, how will you organize your life and your administration differently?
1: Well, one, I would definitely um, seek the expertise of people within the community, the business community, community associations, um, nonprofits, to be a part of the change that we need to make. And so that it can be consistent. Um, and so that if we look down the road 10 years from now, things that are put in place that are effective, um, it will be a result of what the foundation that we created. The, the other difference is I try to not live a stressful life and I try to live a healthy life and I want other people to ha- have that same um non-stress healthy life. Because when you look at our statistics, see nobody's talking about a lot of the ills that we're facing here in the city. Baltimore is like the number one city in America for cardiovascular disease. Um, dementia and, and diabetes are like, it's like a high. I can go down the road, down the list. And I always say to myself, some of the issues that families are facing and young people are facing, it stems around health, but nobody's talking about that. And, and I guess over the years, particularly since I left office, I even did additional things to try to live a healthier, a wholesome, and look at things holistically. And then my spirituality. I've always been a spiritual person, but I always now more than ever um, put God first. It's just like this election, like I told everyone. It's God's will and the voter's. And that will determine. And whatever happens, happens. I'm not going to leave. Whatever, you know, if I win or lose, I'm going to roll up my sleeve and just work as hard as I can. And I, and I want people to be a part of that team.
0: We have some callers. Let's take uh, Leticia from Baltimore. Welcome to the show with former Mary Dixon.
3: Uh, thank you, Mr. Hall. Um, Ms. Dixon, I appreciate hearing from you um, and the service you've rendered. Um, I, I get the, my question kind of follows from Tom Hall's question about you know your history and and I'm someone who gives the benefit of the doubt. I don't think courts always correctly find out if someone's guilty or not. So uh, I guess what I wonder is how, uh, how you might address that big obstacle when people see oh you've been you know um in trouble then um how can you get beyond that because i, I, I well' I have to end with this that so I appreciate your um talking about more equitable um salaries for d p w just lot a lot of what um got martin luther Luther King in trouble um So I will let you answer, please, and thank you very much.
0: Well, thank you for your call. Um, You know, you you mentioned the investigation into the gift cards. It was a, a conviction. Uh, in the courts for for that misdemeanor charge, um, you had been accused of other things. Some of those charges were dropped. Some of those charges, uh, the jury found you not guilty, uh, and then you uh, made an arrangement uh, with the, the the judge in a separate case, a perjury case, in which you agreed to resign and do community service and not run for mayor for four years. I mean, there were there were consequences that you paid. You 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 did all that, and there are people who are inclined to give everybody a second chance, including you. Um, how, do you think, how do you talk to that voter who says, you know, she had her chance, uh, she blew it, I'm not willing to give her a second chance?
1: I'm go- you're gonna have that. I'm gonna have people that don't wanna give a second chance. Um, all I can do is make my, um, share my story, share my conviction to my commitment to this city and those who don't necessarily want to give me a second chance and I win, I'm not going to push them to the side. I'm going to serve them the same way I serve the people who support me.
0: Let's go to you know, And It's about
1: being transparent. It's about being honest and being, and, and being um, truthful. You know, it's like city government. Things happen. So in city government, when things happen, you've got to let the public know this has happened and this is how we're going to do to correct it. And that's how I deal with my life
0: let's go to casey who's on the line in baltimore welcome to the program with former mayor dixon
2: mayor dixon i I have followed your career for for so many years i've owned a business in this city for the better part of seventeen years under a number of different administrations and i want to be the one of the people that say we are so much bigger than our mistakes i have actually seen my business grow under your administration more so than any other administration that we had ever had in this city I believe that a city and state politician or a city and state elected official that their primary tenants is is constituent service and I've never seen anyone other than you handle constituents I've watched and I'm not a surrogate of yours or anything, but I, I believe and I've seen people walk up to you looking for jobs, looking for advice. Yeah, and Casey, you have Casey, always I, I appreciate it. Uh, I,
0: I hate to hurry along, but we got a lot of callers, a lot of folks uh, commenting. Do you have a specific question for
1: uh, former Mayor Dixon?
2: I think she's going to be the greatest mayor. Thank you very much. Okay, thanks for your call. Thank Casey. you. I, I appreciate
1: it. it. And he's right. Constituent service, for me, actually, back when I was... And on the city council, and God rest her soul, Agnes Welch, who passed just at ninety nine, whose funeral is yeah. Saturday, was one of those mentors, along with actually at that time was Mary Pat Clark, where, and duburns because Dewburn said, learn city government and be responsive, and constituent service is, you know, it's one of the main things you have to do. You have to be responsive to people.
0: We have an email. Uh, you mentioned, you know, Dew Burns, Mary Pat Clark, Agnes Welch. Um, it's a different generation. It is. Um, what about those who say it's just simply time to move to the next generation? And certainly the current incumbent, Mayor Scott, at age 39, uh, represents a, a generational change. How about people who are looking for, uh, you know, the next the next people to take a turn?
2: Well,
1: I mean, I'm not in disagreeing with that. And a number of individuals who were part of my administration are now in leadership in the next generation. Um, senator Antonio Hayes was chief of staff, was no, legislative director when I was city council president. And he was assistant deputy um, mayor on public safety who actually went to Chicago and brought cease fire back, which is safe streets, um, who's now senator. Um, Lindsay Jackson, who started uh, at 14 when I was um, campaigning, and he wanted a soda. And I told him he could work for the soda. He's now working in the mayor's office. Um, Bill Ferguson sent letters to elected officials to do internship. He was a teacher. He, I, listened, I responded to his letter, and I sent him over to the school system. He created CityStat, I mean SchoolStat, so I can go through a list. I mean, I welcome, I always had a a good mix of experience and and young people, part of my administration, because the thing, what you want is, you want people to build on your successes. And that's the piece that's missing in city government. You don't throw something out because it was somebody else's idea. You build on it. It's like CityStat. Mayor O'Malley created CityStat. I took that tool and I used it in order to, not only make make sure agencies were being accountable, but that we had a mechanism to make sure that we were doing where we were weak, or where we were strong, that we were being effective in trying to make the kind of changes. So that was a great tool. They don't even use CityStat anymore. You have to have a council person create legislation for them to create city staff.
0: How about the group violence reduction strategy? This is a strategy well, that, that does appear uh, to well, have some very positive it, results. Yeah. and 68 in this way, fewer people were killed this year than in the year before. But let's
1: look at, let's also give credit also where also credit is due in other agencies. ROCA, and I met with them recently, they track young people 16 to 24. They go... To the hospitals where these young people are, and they begin to work with them, they've had a success. I know that what they're doing is contributing that. In this last year, Ivan Bates, who I supported, back tough on a crime, states attorney. State's attorney. Mm-hmm. He said, "You want to commit a crime? Bring your toothbrush." Our, um federal U.S. attorney, um, Eric Barron. Eric Barron. He was like Rosenstein during my time. Non, you know. We're gonna so all of that's a contributing factor. Would you
0: continue the GVRs?
1: Let me put it this way: I need to learn more about it because I heard that there are pieces of this where criminals are being paid to not commit crimes. Now I don't know if it's accurate or not, but over I've in West never Baltimore, heard that. well, I've heard that same thing with with the squeegee kids. They were being paid to not squeegee. So here's the question: What happens when the money runs out?
0: Do you intend to... Uh, safe you're... streets
1: are not operating the way it used to and the, the overall purpose. You know, I'm 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 very disappointed in what I'm hearing about with all the money going into safe streets and how effective it was. And I'm not saying it's not a contributing factor. But again, you, you assess it. If I see that that is a good tool, I'm going to build on that because I always believed in a holistic approach, not mm-hmm. locking up everybody.
0: Do you think Rich Worley should continue as police police commissioner
1: Rich Worley and I've had a conversation. He worked the the midnight shift in Southwest when I was mayor. I don't know him the, the way I knew other um, individuals. I believe in sitting down with a person, getting to know them, finding out what their style is if you know if we if the synergy between our um, what they're doing effectively works well with me. So it's not about getting rid of someone. It's about understanding them because I don't know Richard Worley. I don't know him. And I've told him that.
0: How about Tony Barksdale, Anthony Barksdale, who was the deputy mayor for public safety, the police commissioner, the fire chief, and the head of emergency services report to Mr. Barksdale, who then in turn reports to the mayor. And
1: Tony Barksdale was a recommendation that I made to Mayor Scott to bring him on. And at the time, and this was actually to become commissioner because I knew Fred Billfield under my administration was getting him prepared. But the mayor stated that because of the consent decree that no uh, command staff could come back to the police department who was there doing the gun task force. And I don't know if that's accurate or not.
0: Well, Rich is the commissioner now, well, so that's you know that's right. Not but true. he wasn't
1: in the. But he wasn't at the time. He wasn't at a. Um, he was like a major, and then um, Harrison bought him as a deputy. But again, this is what I was told when I when I suggested Tony Boxdale. Mm-hmm. Um, but I think I think he's more than prepared to to be an effective deputy mayor or.
0: What What do you attribute? the progress in the number of murders in our city and the number of non-fatal shootings.
1: I think all the contributing factors in the last year, having a new state's attorney who was dealing with the quality of life issues and also sending the message that they're not going to tolerate and having effective prosecutors as well as the federal government being a part as well as what's going on in the city. But people still don't feel safe. The carjackings, juvenile crime, Car thefts out of control. You know, people feel in their neighborhoods the quality of life is important to them. So you've got to juggle all of these things. When we saw that carjackers were going up, like we track them one week, five, next week, 10. You you got to get a handle over that right right away. You well, can't wait. They're tracking them now, though. Yeah, but you can't wait till it's, uh, till it's a 1,000 car thefts. You can't wait till it's... 50 There's or 100? 10,000
0: of those. Yeah. yeah,
1: but I'm just saying you have to you have to be proactive early on and and deal with it.
0: My guest is former Baltimore Mayor Sheila Dixon. We'll have more with Mayor Dixon on the other side of a quick break and you can join us at 410-662-8780. You can email us. We'll try to get some of the emails uh, after this break. Midday at WIPR.org. I'm Tom Hall. Stay with us.
2: You're tuned to Baltimore's NPR News Station. Member support at 88.1 WYPR.
0: And welcome back. It's Midday. I'm Tom Hall. If you've just joined us today, it's the latest installment in our series of Midday Conversations with the Candidates. My guest is former Baltimore Mayor Sheila Dixon. She is running in a Democratic primary field that includes the incumbent, Brandon Scott, and the businessman, Bob Wallace. I will speak with those gentlemen on January 17th and 18th, respectively. Mayor Dixon is with me here in Studio A. You are welcome to join us at 410-662-410-662 eight seven eight zero our email midday at WPR.org. Um, we have a question uh, from Rebecca, an emailer who says, what's your opinion on rezoning the inner harbor to allow privately owned luxury apartment buildings, especially with the help of Maryland taxpayer money as per the latest redevelopment plan?
1: So I so have, we can sort of see where Rebecca
0: is on that. Yeah st-
1: no, that I've, I've, I've I've seen the plan. I'm not clear on the number of apartments and condos and residential. Yeah, units. but I'm you know like fitting in that area. I definitely don't want to see us take away green space and um public space cuz we we need to create more of that. Um I think it's going to take a balance. I know that it's coming before the city council, I believe, was going to have here. They've got to
0: change the zoning. Yeah. In order to allow the apartments to be where basically right. the light street you know, and I think is.
1: during that process people need to attend the hearings and and share their concerns um we definitely need a change at the inner harbor and there are a lot of structural issues um with flooding and and you know et cetera that has to be addressed and I think we we need to do that we need to make sure it's a balance of still attracting tourists as well as Residents to be a part of it. Um, I mean, there's a lot because. But if you also look across the street in the downtown um, benefits area, I mean, it's like a ghost town. And so the question is, how are we going to balance this? What are we going to do in the streets Lombard and Redwood, etc., to make sure that we make that those are thriving in Baltimore Street and Calvert Street, just very dead. And so. It's, it's going to take a, a balance. Of
0: course, David Bramble, the uh, developer who's suggesting this, says we need those apartments to make the project financially feasible, to to make it viable. Um, so, you know, when you talk about balance, you've got a private developer uh, figuring out what he wants to do there. You've got another private developer potentially figuring out what they wanted to do at Camden Yards. Yep. You've got a bunch of private developers Uh, figuring out the future of Harbor East and Harbor Point, Um, there's no planning. Uh, There's no overall overarching plan uh, about downtown in general, Um, which concerns me because it's it's, it's development-driven. And
1: you forgot the stadium. Yeah, well, Camden Yards. That concerns me too because um, here we we go when we talk about dysfunctional agencies. I'm not sure whether or not the planning department has really kind of taken a bigger look at. But that if area. these
0: developers weren't involved, I mean, the thing was in receivership. True. I that's
1: true. I mean, there true. are people who
0: say that a bunch of mayors shouldn't have allowed it well, to get you, to the well. Receivership. But
1: you want you want private investment and you want little city dollars. Any project is possible, but you have to also have a whole comprehensive plan. That has to take place.
0: What's your your take on the current state of the city budget? There's uh, some people in the finance department that say we could be def- facing a $100 million deficit in the city of Baltimore. It's a lot of money.
1: It is. It is. But have you noticed that in the past you would hear pretty regularly, yearly, about structural issues dealing with the budget? And it's been very quiet. Now, we've had opera money. The city has opera money and some other revenue money. I think it's infrastructure money. But I'm concerned about that. Um, on top of we might have um, a bill before referendum, which is probably needed more now than ever to reduce the property tax. And so all somewhat
0: dramatically, predictably, but dramatically.
1: Well, yeah, over uh, a longer period of time. But all do of you those support are contrib-
0: that effort. I mean, tried, they tried it the last time. In they concept, able to get it I
1: support there. it because I know we have to do it. But again, we also have to have the options of having something done like that more long term. Uh, because right now, I'm not in city government. And when I hear about $100 million deficit based on monies that we have to contribute to the schools, and et cetera. That concerns me. I'm like, okay, Sheila, are you sure you want to do this? You know, I served during a recession. I did not have the money that city government has now. Um, But we took what little we had and, and we maximized it.
0: Of course, the other issue with property taxes is the number of people paying them. There are 70,000 fewer people living in the city of Baltimore than were living here when you were the mayor the yes, last time. Yes,
1: and that's an issue. That's
0: a lot of people. What's your, what's your plan, your, your suggestion about how we grow the population of the city?
1: Well, we want, number one, we have to continue to maintain and stabilize people to stay here. So we have to make the city safer. People have to feel safe in their communities and as we continue to provide quality services to our constituents That's where we begin to then build on trying to work with our universities and colleges to keep those the minds and energies of people there um, Up up where I live uh, in Hunting Ridge across the street in the uplands. It took it took now 10 what? 13 years we should be on phase three of that project but as we create new communities, we have to rethink some of our neighborhoods and create new communities, and tear down some of our areas, like we did over in EBDI, East Baltimore development. East
0: Baltimore, yeah, with the, the Hopkins development. You know, when it comes to that kind of stuff, um, th- there are those who would say, uh, like when it comes to DPW and picking up recycling every week instead of every other week, um, the mayor has the current mayor has, you know, tried to reinstate weekly. Collection of uh, recycling and not been able to do it. He says he doesn't have the trucks. He doesn't have the C D L drivers. He doesn't have the personnel at D P W to do it. Certainly, if he if, if the D P W folks told him he could do it, he would do it. Um, but they're not. So how how do you come in? What magic wand? The do you same wave? thing
1: that we did during COVID, where members of M M C A who are in the trash business as well as some other that's private that's Minority secretary. Contractor Association yes. mm-hmm. stepped up and helped in recycling. So we might have to look at the private sector to assist us in this process while we build up our department. Go back and contact those individuals who left to to figure out what is it going to take to, to bring you back? What can we do to help you come back and work with us?
0: Uh, we have an uh, email from Melissa. Can you please comment on schools, specifically what the two most critical issues you see facing our school system. Would uh, Dr. Santelises uh, be someone you think uh, should continue in her role? She's uh, I think the longest serving school superintendent uh, or CEO in the last 30-some years here in
1: Baltimore. I I believe that Dr. Santelises needs to be reassessed. I I believe that it might be time for new leadership in the school system. And why? What what has she done that, in your view, has fallen short? Well, my concern is that The school system hasn't been as transparent and open to the public, to parents, to guardians, to the citizens of Baltimore, and what's going on in our schools. Teachers need to teach. They need to feel safe along with our students and families. And right now that's not happening. Teachers don't feel safe. Kids are not learning. You have a few kids in different schools that are disruptive to the majority of our kids. Why do you think people are leaving? They're not necessarily now going to Baltimore County anymore. They're trying to figure out how can I live in Anne Arundel County, Howard County. So that's why how why we've lost individuals. So we've got to get a handle. I believe in the community school concept, where we look at a school and based on the needs of that school, you try to partner and bring those resources in that school for the child, for the family. You know, I'm an educator. I'm a former educator. And I and, and that's where my passion and drive is. I don't even know who's on the school board. That's unheard of that people don't hear from the school board when incidents happen.
0: Any other agency heads that you would uh, reassess?
1: You, you have to. How about the head of DPW, you, Richard would, Luna?
0: He's the interim head.
1: He's the interim. I would assess every department. And
0: do you have ideas, I mean, specific ideas about people that you would want to specifically I, recruit to run I don't
1: agencies? have specific ideas of people out there, but I would definitely um, seek um, out to people, as I did in the past, and talk to people.
0: Well, let's try to sneak in one more call. Let's go to Sandy in northwest Baltimore. Sandy, we're running out of time. What's your quick question for former Mayor Dixon? Hi, this is Sandy Rosenberg. Sheila, how are you? And Tom, as well. Hey, I'm good. Simon. How are you? We well, Sandy? you've there. talked about innovative development. We hopefully will be, have that opportunity for the, both Pimlico Racetrack and the surrounding neighborhoods. What are your thoughts
1: uh, on on that very important project? Oh, I think it's an extremely important. And we should project. mention
0: the delegate Rosenberg has endorsed your candidacy.
1: Yes, he has, and I appreciate Sandy coming on board. And I believe that the Pimlico um, development. Um, Project for the racetrack as well as the community surrounding that needs to happen sooner than later. And prayerfully, we can get that moving in the right direction. Um, I just think that it's going to enhance that community um, and it's going to actually attract additional investment, um, not only based on Sinai being located there and being one of the largest employers here in the city, but it's gonna add additional support. You know, we have all the key ingredients to be a successful city. And it's gonna take innovation, it's gonna take people partnering and rolling up our sleeves. City government is part of the process.
0: And thank you for that call, Delegate Rosenberg. I have to ask you, you did an interview on Fox 45 a week or so ago, and somebody was throwing stuff at you while you're live on camera. Can you tell us what happened, who who was doing that, and why? I'm, what, I'm not gonna going to talk on.
1: about it. It's a personal issue, and, um, you know, I wasn't in any harm. I was a little shocked, and, um, and that's what I'm going to say.
0: All right. We'll leave it there. Former Mayor... Baltimore Mayor Sheila Dixon, thank you so much. Always good to see you.
1: Thanks for having me.
0: The Democratic and Republican primaries are on May 14th. Early voting begins on May 2nd. Next week, our series of conversations with the candidates continues with Baltimore City Councilman Zeke Cohen. He's running for city council president. If you're eligible but not yet registered to vote, you got to get registered. You can register by mail or online up to 21 days before the primary or in person. Uh, at the Board of Election offices or at a polling place. That's it for us today. Tomorrow, it's midday at the movies. And Jay Wynn Russick has a review of a good show called Ragtime at the Kennedy Center, or rather, Signature Theater in Washington.
2: I'm Tom Hall. Thanks for being with us. Have a great day. This is Baltimore's NPR News Station, 881 WYPR.